Hello and welcome to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. I'm Bill Orem, joined by James Karepia, our Oregon Ducks beat writer. James, how are you? Doing well, Bill. How are you on this uh, on this fine Monday? I'm doing well. And James, I want to tell you, if you have questions like that for me or any of our Oregonian sports writers, you don't have to wait to ask me on a podcast. You can subscribe to our new texting service. That's right. The Oregonian is providing the opportunity for readers, listeners of these podcasts to interact with us directly via text. Shoot us a text message at 503-386-0095 with the word join, and you'll get a text message back instructing you how to sign up. It's absolutely free for the first two weeks. After that, it's $3.99 a month. So a really reasonable deal. But for you, James, for free, I will tell you that I'm doing just fine. Excited to be back in the saddle with you this fine Monday, talking about Oregon Ducks football after a um, pretty interesting Saturday. Um, what were what were your big takeaways from the Ducks' uh, pretty decisive win? I know there was a little bit of drama down there toward the end, but I would say a pretty decisive win against USC on 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 Saturday night. Well, a couple of things. Uh, one. Uh, Thought as a, in the big picture sense, it was really kind of a matter of fact win. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you say, like yes, it got you know a little competitive at the end there, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, Oregon had a pretty comfortable lead and control most of that game, almost all of that game, wire to wire. Uh, so, yeah, it, all, all things considered, like I say, like by the end of it, you know, given that it's Oregon and SC and hype and emotion and recruiting and all the other things around it. You know, yeah, by the way, you know, Oregon has some pretty significant stakes to be playing for when it ended, you know, the teams got together to do the handshakes and that's that, like, there's no, you're not, not like you're pulling for anything to occur, but point is, is like, like, yeah, okay. That was it. Like it just was like, they, they were the better team. They are the better team. They were the better team. They're going to continue to be the better team until Lincoln Riley realizes that defense is half of a football team. Um, so it just kind of was, uh, to the more minute, uh, and into the game itself, I thought a couple of things, uh, from Oregon's perspective where that offensively, uh, yes, they had the quick strikes early. Uh, that's, you know, that really speaks to the divide and talent and speed in particular between the teams. And also that they were able to, I wouldn't say throw the brakes on exactly, but extend drives and have prolonged drives, you know, to have two basically one play drives for all intents and purposes, and then also have three drives that span over five minutes in the same game. Uh, not many teams can do that. Not many teams have the ability to do that. Uh, and that just further to me, again, against a terrible defense, I understand that. But I don't, it's hard to do on air uh, some of the things that they did. So that, to me, again, just further validates uh, exactly how good this team is and how capable this team is particularly offensively thought uh, the opening drive of the uh, second half of the third quarter, probably the drive of the season uh, at this point uh, to, to assemble a drive of that length to eat up nearly half of the quarter, whatever momentum USC had or thought it had entering halftime uh, and scoring in a quick drive before the half uh, absolutely ceased in its tracks on a six-plus-minute drive where Bo Nix went nine of nine. Uh, and Oregon had two of its better players on offense. Bucky Irving has his ankle rolled up on uh, and comes out of the game on that drive, and they still finish with a touchdown. 
and Jackson Powers Johnson had his leg rolled up on, didn't even come out of the game unless you heard it in the building or on the telecast, the extremely loud scream that he gave after being rolled up on. You wouldn't have known it happened because he didn't didn't come out uh, at the time. So to have, like I say, two of your star offensive players go down, one not even leave the game, plot along, <laughs> takes half a quarter, yeah. score a touchdown. I mean, that, like I say, that is, that is iconic. Uh, you know, if that, if that happened, like I say, if it happened in any number of other places uh, and, and a little bit better of a time slot on national television, uh, it would be treated a little bit differently. I think that was a massive drive. And like I say, probably the drive of the season so far. So to me, uh, they say big picture, uh, kind of matter of fact, but shows where the state of the two programs are at the moment. Uh, and in the, in the small picture, uh, individual performances from Knicks to the receivers, uh, to that drive in particular, you name it. I uh, thought a lot of things stood out. Yeah. And I, you know, that drive, I mean, you, I'm looking back at it now. I mean, there, there was nothing, you know, on that drive that was, you know, particularly, um, dramatic right like workmanlike uh the way you know they they had to convert a third and six to keep that drive going on the first um on the first set of downs there was a 17 yard completion um you know on a play it was a 21 yard touchdown pass to tez johnson but you know that wasn't a you know you need a fourth down pickup to keep the drive going sort of thing i mean oregon really kind of had their way um just kind of just kind of shoving SC's defense down the field. And that kind of felt, that was kind of the theme of the night to me. It felt like Oregon could kind of do whatever it wanted against SC's defense, particularly the secondary. And um, um, I will also say, you know, holding USC to 27 points, right? Um, That is, you know, the story of SC's season is that they can score points on anybody, but they just can't stop anybody from scoring. And I thought even – even the Ducks defense had a lot of success against what has been a highly prolific offense this season. So um, a lot to like, a lot that just sort of validates everything we've been saying about the Ducks all season. A really good game from Bo Nix yet again, um, you know, below his his preferred uh, 80% uh, completion threshold. He was at 74%, uh, 23 of 31 with four touchdowns and no interceptions. So um, he keeps making his case as the best quarterback in the country as well. Um James, I am a big picture guy, uh, as I know you are. So I find myself thinking a lot about um, bowl season and the CFP and the Heisman and looking ahead to the final Oregon-Oregon State game in two weeks. Oregon State has a biggie this week at home against Washington. Um, But there is the procedural matter of Oregon going to Arizona State this weekend and playing uh, their former offensive coordinator and um, good friend Kenny Dillingham with the Sun Devils. Uh, Arizona State coming off of probably its win of the year. Uh, would I be wrong to overlook Arizona State in this um, in this uh, in this circumstance? Only insofar as if you're a Ducks fan who is extremely superstitious and simply believes that you cannot have nice things. <laughs> uh, you know, if you know history, obviously uh, there's plenty of. Uh, logic and reason uh, to feeling a certain kind of way about having to go to Arizona or Arizona state to go to the desert in general uh, in November uh, amid good seasons. So if, if you want to fret uh, accordingly, far be it from me to stop you. Uh, but on talent alone, <laughs> there's a reason why this uh, there's a reason why Oregon is favored by 
bordering on a fourth possession at the moment. Uh, what What is the number right now, James? Sorry. It has uh, fluctuated a bit. Uh, it's, I believe, now in the, around 22-ish, maybe 22 and a half. Um, so it's, it's, like I say, it's teetering uh, on moving beyond three touchdowns. Uh, and it should be. And these are two teams who... They, they shan't be meeting again uh, anytime in the near future. <laughs> so one could make the argument that they don't belong on the same football field uh, very much at the moment. Uh, what Kenny has been able to do in his first season, especially amid all the injury the last several weeks, uh, I mean, this past weekend, you know, I haven't even had a chance to see it all, but I know what he pulled off against UCLA is remarkable. Uh, yeah. So. I think he'll have success going forward, but this this year was never going to be particularly successful. It was made uh, more difficult by administrative malfeasance, uh, and now, uh, obviously, just again a barrage of injuries, and they're con- they're going to continue to be down a ton of players. So, bottom line, he will pull out every stop imaginable to try and remain competitive as he should. But Oregon is a wildly better team. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. Uh, in terms of talent and ability in this game. So look past it, I would say you would not – I think most people will, Bill. Um, most people outside of uh, of the region most certainly will because they know that ASU is not having a good year and they're not a very talented team. But, uh, again, for fans, uh, far be it for me to stop them from, uh, from being concerned about a trip to Arizona uh, in November. Um. One thing that I, I think is maybe interesting to get into when we're talking about Arizona State, Bo Nix, Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham, um, you know, Bo had two in two of his first four years playing college football. He had Kenny Dillingham as, as his as his uh, um, offensive play caller. Uh, it, well, know, right. No, one year is the play caller. Two years is OC and title. <laughs> Let's say okay. let's say the amount so, of autonomy that Kenny had yeah, in under, Auburn under, was under, uh, under Gus Malzahn was uh, yeah who, who, minimal. Who calls the off, who, yeah. who calls the who, call, who yeah. calls the offense in a Gus Malzahn offense? Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but uh, they worked together for two years. There was a familiarity that was certainly a big storyline um, in Bo's first year in Oregon, um, reuniting with um, with Kenny and the familiarity they had with each other. It obviously worked to great success a year ago and not only has there not been any drop off this year with Will Stein uh at at offensive coordinator uh it's been even better for Bo. So I wonder if if we could get into some of the um some of the differences we've seen from Bo Nix with uh Will Stein replacing Kenny Dillingham um and are there ways in which we think and I'm using the we very very uh royally here because I mean you um, that you think that that Bo has has missed Kenny, even though he's had such great success uh, in in the off- in this version of the offense uh, this year. Well, the clear and most obvious difference between last year's offense and this year's offense is how much Bo is running, and I don't think that that is. I, I don't know how much to extrapolate from that by way of some grand commentary about utilization or uh, strategy strengths or anything of the like. They had a different set of skill position players around Bo a year ago than they do now. I mean, the, the, the number two receiver in production a year ago is number six right now and doesn't see the field. Is that Chris Hudson? Yeah. 
I was talking to somebody about that the other day that like Chris Hudson was their number two receiver a year ago and and you he he could be on a, a poster in the post office right now. You just haven't seen him. They needed to overhaul the position. Yeah. They did. They brought in talented players, one of whom might, might end up having I mean, he certainly Tez Donson is on pace to have his his best career season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only about a hundred or so yards away from doing so statistically speaking, but depending on how he finishes the season could be a second thousand yard receiver on this team. Yeah. So like who else in Oregon's receiving core last year? Like what, what, who was going to do that? Um, right. So no, like I say, they've, they've surrounded him with more talent. Uh, so that's made the offense that much more potent through the air. Uh, I think PAC 12 secondaries year over year have gotten worse. Uh, Oregon's notwithstanding. Uh, Oregon's got better. I think everybody else has got worse. Uh, so that also plays to like, can you run the ball? Yeah, you have running backs to do that. Do you have to run the quarterback? They're still doing it in short yardage, obviously, uh, having a lot of success with that. A lot of his touchdowns still of the one and two and three yard variety, uh, but you're not seeing Bo in the open field as much. Uh, again, how much is that is because well, Kenny wants to do it more, and Will doesn't. Well, no, I, I think Will doesn't have to. I don't yeah. think Will Stein is morally opposed to running his quarterback. I think he had Frank Harris but run Jay, a pretty good but, amount. But, but, but but James wasn't coming out of last year one of the takeaways from last season that the Ducks would be better off if they could figure out how to not have to rely on Bo's legs so much. Absolutely, because of the injury against Washington that then impacted things down the stretch. Yeah. But having said that, again, that's yes because it happened. But this is the same fan base who would tell you that everything that was wrong with the offense in 2018 and 2019 under Marcus Arroyo is because Justin Herbert didn't run enough. Mm. So, you know, a top 25 offense, again, with no NFL wide receivers, uh, none drafted. I know Johnny Johnson made you know practice squad and is still hanging on there. But point being, like, and Jawan Johnson yeah. later, but he missed half a season. But point being, like, having a mobile quarterback and a dual threat helps. Bonix gave you that a year ago. He gives you that at times and in moments now. Uh, but yeah, I think anybody, any coordinator, any head coach for that matter, will tell you that they would optimally uh, prefer not right. to have to run their quarterback as much. And that's, like I say, that's really the difference is whether it be by strategy, by uh, uh, happenstance, uh, whatever the case is, one of the main differences, probably the main difference is that. Otherwise, schematically, uh, in terms of how they've gone things formationally, very, very similar, quite honestly. I mean, some of the formations are literally the same. Um, so it's very, 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 very similar. Still a lot of uh, multiple tight end usage. Still base uh, with one tight end, though. But the way that they've gone about it, incorporated it. If anything, I'd say Kenny probably did a little little bit more um, with certain kinds of formations, whether they talk about into the boundary or, or covered receivers and stuff. That Will's still done, uh, but just not probably much in abundance. And again, I think part of that is because of personnel. I think sometimes you do some of those things because you're trying to obfuscate and cover up for some things personnel wise. Um, and again, when you have more talent, you don't necessarily have to uh, go to every, uh, every trick in the bag. Um, okay. So I do think we need to look ahead a little bit next week. We're going to be all over this and we're going to be talking about this as, you know, I mean the, the, the last in, you know, what has, you know, historically been known as the civil war um the the, you know, the last could it be one of the best um certainly 
potential for this to be a top 10 matchup um, by the time the game arrives uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I, I think Oregon State is going to beat Washington this weekend. Um, Washington has been shaky. Oregon State's defense um, has, I think, the, has, has certainly improved in the secondary and has the pieces to get after Michael Penix, force him to make some mistakes. Um, the offense has been good enough. Oregon State's dominant at home. I think Oregon State's going to get a win. Which Will you eat your shirt if they don't? You know, I, my, whatever shirt you think are thinking of, we'll have to get in line. Um, yes, mm. to anyone wondering, I'm still planning on fulfilling my obligations there. Jeez, WNBA really, really uh, stuck this one to me. Um, but think, I uh, think we can find a, a Les Mis shirt for you, Bill. I do. <laughs> oh, why? I mean, if we if we want to get into Les Mis and keep the trend of me just talking dirty, <laughs> like hij- hijacking the Oregon I'll, I'll make sure it's a turning it into Les Mis. I'll make sure it's a Gavro shirt for you, so it's a smaller. You know, be we, small, we can do small. A, you know, yeah. an appetizer size. Yeah. See, we really needed to just kick Nick off the uh, the Beaver podcast last week and, and ring you in and 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 get after all the Les Mis, the Les Mis talk. Did you see Les Mis when it was in Eugene a couple weeks ago? Uh, unfortunately, I could not fit it into my schedule. I looked for tickets and it was a, a possibility, but alas, I uh, uh, had I was otherwise indisposed of. But. So okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Oregon State to be to beat the Huskies this week. Uh, I think it's gonna be a great game. You know, Huskies have nobody's beaten the Huskies yet. So would it be a surprise if Washington beats Oregon State? Of course not. But um, also, I think my heart wants Oregon State to beat Washington a little bit because who doesn't want to see a number eight Oregon State playing number five or four Oregon in the last you know game when at least as conference opponents last time at the end of the season last time with you know national title implications on the line at the end of November. I mean, that's a lot of fun. Uh, that said, I, I've seen the Husk, I've, I've seen the Ducks a lot this year. I've seen the Beavers a lot this year. And I just feel like the Ducks are playing on a different playing field than any, everybody else. I think they're on a different plane. And I, so I guess if I had to make a pick now, I, I think the Ducks are going to win out and go to the Pac-12 title game and go and potentially to the CFP. I and mean, we got into that last week, but if you can get on, get it, get your crystal ball out, James, um, what are you what are you foreseeing in that November twenty fourth showdown between uh, the Ducks and Beavs? And I bet you're not quite as ready as I am to say, to give the Beavs the W against uh, against well the W Washington. Regardless of what happens uh, in that game at Corvallis uh, this weekend, uh, I think you're going to see two teams play to their strengths as they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to see two teams with two of the better offensive lines and certainly better coached offensive lines, not only in the league, but probably in the country. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's exactly a, a leap to say that Oregon is in that class. And and in terms of best certainly. coached uh, offensive lines, I'd put Oregon State's right on up there. Um, so I think both teams are going to try to play to their strengths in any number of ways with that. Um, I think Oregon's passing attack uh, and it's receivers up against Oregon State's uh, corners in particular uh, will prove to be a advantageous matchup. Now you could say, well, yeah, but they haven't had to play a defense that has been able to get to the quarterback as much as uh, Oregon State has. Uh, no, but the teams that they have that have been in that class, uh, they've stifled um, better than anyone. Uh, so, and Oregon State hasn't played an offensive line as good as either Washington's or Oregon's, and now it's about to get them in back-to-back weeks. So, having said all that, uh, I do think Oregon has, you know, 
big leap. Uh, the, the team that's had been a perennial top 10 recruiter <laughs> has a decisive talent advantage over the team who has not. Yet, credit to Oregon State insofar as how they've gone about it, the way they've gone about it, sticking to a system, sticking to a plan uh, to get, quote unquote, their guys uh, to right. run a certain kind of way, uh, which obviously involves and offensively literally running a lot uh, and being very, very good and efficient at it. Uh, and you need no greater example of that than last year's meeting between these teams. So uh, I do think that it will be, again, two teams trying to play to their strengths. I just happen to think that Oregon has more of them uh, and that this year that they have a defense uh, that can better combat some of the things that Oregon State does. But that said, uh, hey, it will be, regardless of what happens this weekend, it will be a uh, significant meeting a historic matchup because of the other consequences and stakes and everything else going on. Um, and one that uh, hopefully people will remember for, for all the right reasons, not for, you know, historical markers. Cause again, I do think that the series resumes sooner rather than later. Uh, and I don't think that it no longer being a conference matchup is going to suddenly dial down uh, people's feelings about it in the grand scheme Look- of things. Let me ask you this, because um, when Oregon's uh, Big Ten schedule came out last week and, you know, you got the full schedule, you know, every week was accounted for. Um, there was some erroneous or maybe uh, let me let me rephrase some uh, premature reporting of, well, that means Oregon State can't be on the schedule. Um, certainly the schedule looks complete. Um, Nick Daschle spoke to Scott Barnes, the, the athletic director at Oregon State, and he said, um, not so fast. Um, and I'm wondering where your conversations with people at Oregon has left you feeling, um, you know, and I, and I think we've talked about this before where it was like, you know, it's going to be hard to get Oregon state on Oregon's schedule next season, just because of, you know, everything that is in place and the pieces that have to be moved around and you have buyouts and all of that. And you've got the week zero game, you have a week zero game. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and so it's, it gets a little complicated, um, so Scott Barnes is on the record with Nick saying that there is still a conversation being had about trying to get that game on the schedule in 2024. Um, from Oregon's side, what is your understanding of of how likely that is or what the most likely um, or what some of those most likely outcomes would be? They are certainly attempting to resume the series again sooner rather than later. Uh, but the stance ever since, uh, you know, the first week of August has been that they desire to maintain that series in all sports as soon as possible. Uh, And they, you know, every public comment from Rob Mullins or um, uh, deputy athletic director, Eric Rodell, who handles a lot of the football scheduling uh, has been to that end. Um, Rodell spoke on one of their in-house radio deals last week, the week before. um, And it was ambiguous. I'll say. Um, if you want to read between lines in terms of, well, you know, when he was talking about non-conference scheduling in general, well, if you look to the future and, well, it's still got moving pieces and you go, well, if you're a hardliner and say, well, there are moving pieces, you know, everything's locked in for the next several years. So what, what pieces could be moving? Gee, I don't know. You know, they're they're really trying to wedge in a lot of Mac teams. Uh, Like, what do you think they're going to be moving? (laughs) Like again, so um, bottom line, uh, any number of possibilities. Um, yes, we did touch on, uh, uh, some of this last week with the movement and week zero and yeah. what would be possible around Labor Day and Purdue and how that could impact Oregon state and any number of other 
factors and issues and things. Bottom line is it's still possible. Yes, it's still possible um, to have this game get back on the schedule as soon as next year. I do think that uh, perhaps even this week there will be at least some some level of clarity. Yeah, because of legal fallout. Um, I yeah. think, frankly, a good reason why part of this has been happening at the pace it's been happening is because uh, it does not serve Oregon State or Washington State in its uh, their legal quests um, to do anything to make it show like it's convenient for them to continue uh, playing schools that it is presently uh, taking legal action against uh, right. to say, oh, well, yeah, we're doing that for other things. But but hey, we'll continue like nothing ever happened. I think until we get resolution there, which may come very, very soon, uh, that then suddenly some other things will occur. So right. again, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not predicting by the end of the week that we'll see a, an announcement on this front. I'm just saying that I think we're going to get far closer today than we've been at any point in the last literally 90 days. And you're speaking about uh, the, the the next hearing, the latest hearing in uh, Whitman County Superior Court, uh, where Oregon State and Washington State have uh, filed other legal stuff against the Pac-12, and that's happening on Tuesday. So um, that is certainly the next shoe to drop, getting a sense of hoping for a, a verdict on who controls the Pac-12's assets going forward, um, which then allows uh, Oregon State and Washington State to operate with full knowledge of their of their circumstances. And so I think, yes, football schedule comes out shortly after that because Oregon State, you know, just looking at this from a local standpoint, you know, you get you get into that transfer portal window of, of early December. And if you don't have clarity on what um, things are going to look like, you start seeing guys get itchy feet and, and, and jump into that portal. Now, of course, that doesn't affect your your beat the university of oregon which has um which has great certainty about where it is going and uh lots of enthusiasm and excitement and probably will crush the transfer portal yet again for all those reasons um so james i i think that you know as we look back on this on this season you know it's it's we get so myopic on the um on the week to week and the matchups and you know who's playing well and, and and who isn't um but as you look at the um the chart of this year, going back to Portland state, they hang 81 points uh, on the Vikings. They go win a tough one down at Texas tech. And uh, you know, I came out of the Texas tech game saying this team feels a little vulnerable and they haven't looked vulnerable really since uh, with the exception of the Washington game and no shame there. Um, Where do you think that going into week now 11 um, Oregon is relative to where they started the year? Obviously every team gets better, but um, everybody gets better. Well, that's, Washington State's better today than they were in September. Washington um, Washington State should have mic dropped it after beating the Beavers. They should have just said, "We're done here. We've done it. We've won the Pac-2 championship." But I mean, ideally, you know, teams progress over the course of you know a twelve-week season. But um, what are the areas you've seen the Ducks improve and that have been the most encouraging? And then we'll get out of here. I think in a lot of areas defensively that we had questions throughout the off season. Heck, some people probably still have questions now, um, and and rightfully so, quite honestly. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that the team has certainly made a lot of progress, uh, substantive progress defensively. I mean, you'd be a fool to make an argument that this team isn't better defensively than they were a year ago. I mean, you'd be just completely wrong. You'd just be wrong. I mean, yeah. like in every way. <laughs> um, like no matter how much you want to couch about you know opponents or caliber, like. They're just better. Um, this 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 week last year 
we if, I don't think we did a podcast this week last year, but this week last year we were sitting around talking about what like how Tosh Lupoi like was so lucky he had job security because we, this was the week after the Washington loss when um, nine yards you know, over more more than nine yards yeah. Of play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the defense was a, a disaster at this time last season, and and really for all of last season. So just to, yeah, the, to the bottom line, they're they're better defensively. They're better in pass rush, which was probably atop the list of concerns um, for the past couple of years, despite having NFL drafted edge rushers. And they are better today, and a lot of that is because of freshmen, and a lot of that is because they brought in Jordan Birch, who was the top transfer available and they got him and he's brought some of that production and he's also helped enable the production of others including Brandon Dorless who is playing much like the Brandon Dorless that they expected that they wanted that Dorless himself wanted uh, to go out like this so they are getting that kind of production from the front seven in any number of areas and they're still stout against the run and they're probably even better against the run than they were a year ago I say probably only insofar as and we'll see with Oregon State but most of the offenses in this league are quarterback driven and led, and there aren't that many teams that are running back driven and led to where anybody has to lean on their running back quite the same way as they did uh, last year. So uh, are they better? Yes, particularly in the front seven. In the secondary, I think in totality, the group is better performing better. Uh, I'm not going to get in comparisons of Christian Gonzalez against Kyrie Jackson because they're just different players. The different kinds of players um, at the corner position. But uh, I think as a whole, I think top to bottom, uh, clearly they're they're better there. How much better? It's hard to really even view last year's uh, uh, secondary fairly because of deficiencies elsewhere, because of lack of pass rush. Like how much was on the secondary versus, you know, if there was better pass rush, would the secondary look better? kind of thing versus this year where, well, they look better and they're statistically better, but how much of that is because the pass rush is getting home more and everything else. So uh, top to bottom though, they are improved defensively. And that was one of the main areas and questions. I didn't have the questions that some people had about the offensive line. So I'm, I, I didn't know if they lead the country again, if you were sacks allowed, but I was not um, wildly concerned about that because I knew they'd have, again, a talent advantage compared to everybody that they play. They still do. And they will, unless they reach the playoff and play a very, very select few group of opponents, um, they're going to have a talent advantage there at the line of scrimmage on both sides against virtually everybody that they play. Uh, but there are, like I say, are there still questions, though? Yeah, at times, yeah. Because I, I thought this week it showed a little bit that until USC scored its last two touchdowns where it makes it look a lot more competitive than it truly was, and that's not to discredit what their offense is capable of. But Oregon was down at one point its top three corners in the game. And when they lost at Washington, they lost their top two corners on the same play. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> God, you know, yes. like part of the question of this team still is, and look, if you take the top two corners off of most any team in the country, I don't care if we're talking about Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, LSU, Bama, Georgia, Ohio, like I don't I don't care. You take the top two corners off any team in the in the country, there's gonna be some problems. All right. Like yeah. th- th- yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get a little weak. Then you oh throw in, oh, by the way, um the opposing offense has a either Heisman candidate, Heisman winner, uh, and a bevy of NFL receivers. There's probably gonna be some issues. Uh yeah, 
that's that's where there's still vulnerability. But I would say that that vulnerability exist would exist anywhere. Uh, so that's one where, in terms of projecting forward, potential Pac-12 title game matchup and rematch with Washington. And even if they win that, well, then what does it mean if they make the playoff and face the likes of Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, Texas, et al.? Um, yeah, uh, that's, you know, when when the stakes start getting higher and the caliber of opponent starts getting higher, um, any deficiency starts becoming uh, glaring uh, because yeah. where, where if you were on the other side, where would you attack? And I think pretty clearly right now, unless you had the greatest running game, which look, Michigan might be that team, unless you have a Michigan style running offense. Um, I don't know who will necessarily test them in that regard, but if you're an opposing offense, you're still going to look to throw the ball, you know, at any number of places on this team, no matter how improved they are relative to a year ago. Um, Okay, so James, I'm looking at this right now. I want to pass these along before uh, we sign off here, which is uh, looking ahead to the Pac-12 title game scenarios. Uh, I sent these out yesterday on our uh, texting service, which you can subscribe to, by the way, with a simple text message to 503-386-0095. Just text JOIN. First two months are free. First two weeks are free. Um, And then after that, uh, it'll be $3.99 a month. But um, here's what we have in terms of Pac-12 title scenarios washington and oregon can secure uh berths in the pac-12 title game in las vegas this weekend if they both win if oregon beats arizona state on the road which we think is going to happen if washington uh beats oregon state and corvallis this weekend that would knock oregon state down to three losses and then you would need utah to beat arizona and give arizona three losses that would secure a pac-12 title matchup between oregon and the dogs um, now it gets a lot funkier if Oregon State beats Washington this weekend, and that could set up a Ducks Beavers game that is for a trip to Las Vegas. If if Washington takes a loss from Oregon State, Oregon State will have two losses. Oregon will have one, and Oregon State can win the tiebreaker against Oregon if it uh, if it beats the Ducks after Thanksgiving. The Beavers would go to the Pac-12 title game in that scenario. Then there's um, uh, uh, there's a scenario that you know Arizona goes and you know all that too. But the most likely scenarios I think are that either Oregon and Washington um, lock it up this weekend, or uh, we're playing for a, a Pac-12 title berth on November 24th in Eugene um, with uh, with the, the winner of Ducks Beavers going. And you know, again, like I said earlier, you know, in in my heart as a as a as a grizzled old Oregon kid, you know, I. I want to see that. I want to see the, you know, potentially the last, you know, Oregon, Oregon state game, uh, probably not the last, but the last in these circumstances to be for a chance in the Pac-12 title game. I think that's going to, that would be a lot of fun. I don't know if Oregon wants that necessarily. I think you want to get that taken care of sooner potentially, but then, Hey, you know, if it gets taken care of sooner, does that put you in a position where maybe you lose a little bit of your moxie going into the, you know, the first while civil war? I don't know. That's all stuff we can talk about next week if we actually get in that position. Uh, but we will continue to provide that kind of stellar analysis and, uh, and opinion right here on OregonLive.com on the podcast. I'll be podcasting with Nick Daschle on the Beavers. If you're the kind of fan who likes to stay up to date on both the Ducks and the Beavers, if you just want to hear about the Ducks, James and I will be back next week. Um, but if you want updates across the Panacea 
of that's not the right word whatever it doesn't matter cornucopia that feels seasonally appropriate a cornucopia of sports and topics you're gonna want to subscribe to our new texting service um which you can do really easily and i listen i don't know how many text messages you send a day james i probably spend i probably send 300 text messages a day and they're to all sorts of people and if you're like me and you're sending that many text messages why not make one of those messages be to us here at the oregonian with a simple note to 503-386-0095. All you need to say is join. You don't need to ask us how our day is going. You don't need to have a, a, a question for us about the state of sports in the state of Oregon. Just a text message that says join, 503-386-0095. You'll get a message back instructing you how to sign up for our texting service. You get two weeks free. You can cancel at any point in time. After that, three ninety nine a month. Three ninety nine cheaper than it costs James for to get his uh, his third Red Bull of the night to get through uh, his many hours of, of writing on Saturday night. True story. I don't know if I don't know if people understand. I don't know if people understand James how hard you are working for them. I mean, all of us, you know, Saturday night in Eugene, a 7.30 kickoff. 7.30, I'm starting to get the alert from my aura ring telling me it's time to wind down, start thinking about a good night's sleep. Oh, you've, you've, you've brought in, you, you've, you've wiretapped your own body. Oh, oh, you're one of those. Oh, oh, dear. oh boy. <laughs> around, the, around the time they're out there at midfield calling heads or tails, my body's telling me to shut it down. But no, for the readers of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, I'm powering through the night. I'm going into the wee hours of the morning to deliver the content for you to be there when you wake up in the morning at a reasonable hour. James also, James, what time did you go to bed Saturday night? And by that, I mean Sunday morning. I picked up coffee at six 30. So I think I, I, I think I basically passed out around 8 a.m. So I, I think. Well, hold on. there's something very backwards about what you just described. You picked up coffee at six 30 and then went to sleep at eight. Something like that. I honestly can't remember. I know I picked up coffee early. Um, it may have been before six, honestly. No, no. I think they open at six, so it had to be around six thirty. Yeah, it was around six thirty. I I can't remember if I stayed up for the polls or if I napped quickly before the polls came out or whatever. Um, yeah, it was somewhere around eight ish, maybe nine ish, something like that. And I ask you, listener, who else is pu- is putting in these kinds of hours to bring you coverage of the Oregon Ducks? Uh, absolutely no one. And um, it is our pleasure that you could certainly help us out. Oh, that's so great fun. By, yeah. <laughs> it, it, but you, you, you could help us out by subscribing to that texting feature I've been, I've been plugging. Uh, the number, as I'm sure you already know, because you've probably already texted JOIN to 503-386-0095, is 503-386-0095. Okay. Um, no more advertising. James, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you sound like you need a nap. Um, you sound great. Don't don't get me wrong, but just thinking about your sleep habits, I want you to go take a nap. Um, I could use a nap as well. I got home at 3.30 in the morning, and I thought that was late, but no complaints from me. Um, and we'll be back next week. We'll be talking about an Oregon win in the desert. Uh, sorry if I'm jinxing it, but I don't think I am. And, and setting up what is going to be a Titanic uh, erstwhile civil war i'm going with erstwhile civil war for now we'll see we'll see how we'll see how long i i I can uh i can make that work but maybe slide that into some columns this week too all right for james crepia i am bill orham thank you for listening to the oregonian sports podcast we'll have updates this week on uh, other goings on throughout the sports universe and of course i'll be back with james next week to talk about your oregon ducks thank you for listening